We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome tonight. We're in Acts chapter 7 for our Bible study this evening. We've had a nice time of prayer. I invite you, though, to Acts chapter 7. We'll spend a few moments here. This is a lengthy chapter which covers Stephen's preaching and his death. And the truth that I drew from this, I'm sure there are others that you could draw, but I drew this truth. Israel repeats once again its pattern of rebellion against God. Israel repeats its pattern of rebellion against God. It's not a new thing. It's not a, a you know, new invention. It just has happened over and over again. The Jewish high priest and his affiliates were about to kill one of their own people over a difference of beliefs. Now, we think this is terrible today, thanks to our heritage as Christians and as Americans with our freedom of religion ideal. Force, we know, is no way to convert anyone, is it? Force is no way to convert anyone. Jews of that day, however, had the Old Testament requirements in mind that a false prophet had to be stoned to death. But they could not prove that Stephen was a false prophet. They could not contradict him either. They could not deny the miracles that he worked. They could not stand his conviction of sin in their lives and being stiff-necked like their forefathers. All they could do was get him out of their sight and out of their hearing by killing him. Now remember, in this portion, Stephen is uh, answering the charges that were levied against him. And those charges were given in chapter 6. And I've kind of boiled them down into three charges. Number one, they suppose that Stephen was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Number two, they said he's speaking blasphemous words against the temple and against the law. That is sacrilegious words or words that attack the sanctity of Moses and God and the temple and the law. And they claimed that he said that Jesus was going to destroy the temple and change the customs which Moses delivered to them. We looked at those charges and saw how factually incorrect they were last time. For example, Jesus never said, I will destroy the temple. He invited someone else to destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. So see, they took, I will raise, and they turned it into, I will destroy. You know, typical. Must have been the media that did that back then. (laughs) Um, And uh, of course, he didn't speak blasphemy. He spoke fulfillment about the temple, about the law, fulfillment of the words of Moses and love for God and and submission to God and his lordship. So they uh, laid these charges out at the end of chapter 16 
I'm sorry, chapter 6, rather, verse 15. And they looked at him, and they saw that he had the face of an angel. And the high priest said, chapter 7, verse 1, Are these things so? What are you going to say for yourself? And the majority of the rest of chapter 7 is, I guess I have to give credit, the very smallest amount of credit to the Pharisees and the high priest for actually listening this long. They didn't listen long enough, but they listened for verses 2 through verse number uh, 53. So a few minutes of listening to Stephen preaching, proclaiming the truth. Stephen makes the case in his message that the Jewish people have a historical pattern of rebellion against God and his messengers. First of all, they have a historical pattern of rebellion against God and his messengers and that it was no different at their present time because they rebelled against God by rejecting Jesus and persecuting his followers. And as if to prove the point, they went about to kill Stephen. Isn't that ironic? He said, you're killing the pro- you killed the, your fathers killed the prophets. You're just like them. You persecute, per- killed Jesus, persecute his followers, and then they go ahead and they kill him. As if to say, yeah, we'll fulfill what you've said. And they don't see the, the just terrible irony of it all. So again, he makes the case that they have a historical pattern of rebellion, and they repeat that pattern even in this chapter. Stephen, in so preaching hits all the highlights of Jewish history, and he starts out with Abraham. Abraham is an example of obedience to God. Let's go to verse 2, and he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him, that is Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. All right, so Abraham is an example of obedience to God. God revealed instructions to the Hebrew patriarch, and he was obedient. He was obedient even though God had not given him a settled place to rest his foot. Right? He didn't give him a square inch of permanent territory. God gave him some prophetic information about a future trial that the, his uh, descendants would go through and the... the uh, judgment uh, of Israel and the covenant of circumcision. And again, Abraham obeyed what he was supposed to do. 
Okay, so God said, go. He went. He left Haran, uh, left Mesopotamia, left Haran, came to this promised land. Uh, your descendants are going to dwell in this bad place, and that's Egypt, of course. And then he's going to judge the, na- the nation that did that to them, and then they will come out and serve uh, God. And so Abraham is kind of the paragon of, of um, you know, faith. He's the guy that's the, the example. But things go downhill after that, and Stephen talks now about what we call the patriarchs, that is the heads or head fathers of the nation, so we have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, and then we have what? The 12 fathers, Reuben and Levi and Simeon and all of them, Judah and all of those ones, Joseph, and uh, Joseph, of course, Manasseh and, and, um, and uh, Ephraim. And uh, the patriarchs, it says, this is now referring back to Genesis again, becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. All right, strike number one. You remember that several times in the New Testament, the Scripture tells us that the Pharisees were envious of, say, Paul's ministry or Jesus' ministry, all the crowds they saw, and they became jealous, okay? Just like these brothers here. You know, he's got the coat of many colors. He's dad's, you know, favorite kid and so on. So they sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So we have the first you know, sign of things going awry here. Fast-forwarding, you know, those generations to Joseph, the 11 patriarchs were jealous of Joseph and sold him into slavery. The modern Jews at this time, when Stephen's speaking, the modern Jews were jealous of the Christians and their rapidly growing following. And the only way they felt that they could take care of that was by threatening it. They would not engage in a, a battle of ideas they wouldn't engage in a counter-offensive, you know, to advertise and get people to come to the synagogue and so on. They would threaten violence against the church. Back in history, despite the father's hatred, their aborted attempt to kill Joseph, remember Reuben saved him from being killed, then they sold him as a slave, but they could not undermine the plan of God to use Joseph to save their fledgling nation. In fact, little did they know that by doing what they did, they were not undermining the plan of God. They were doing the plan of God. God was using them as his servants even in the midst of their sin. What an irony. They hated Joseph. God used Joseph to save them. Joseph is thus a type of Jesus. When I say a type, a pattern, a model, a forerunner. 
He's like Jesus. Joseph was a righteous man who was persecuted and was used by God to save people. Jesus was a perfectly righteous man, used by God, death on the cross, resurrection, in order to save people. Okay? So, envy, rejection of Joseph. Now we go on to another example, more extensive yet. Moses, centuries later now. Okay, so we get our timeline in our mind. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. They go to Egypt. They're there for 400 years. Moses is going to bring them out. So this is 400 years later, 1400 and some B.C. And uh, the people were oppressed by Pharaoh. Verse 17, when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Okay, that's post, we might say post-birth abortion. It's actually called technically infanticide, but today some people have gotten the, given it the name post-birth abortion. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, that is to be exposed, to die, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him, brought him up as her own son. And of course, after the process of time, Moses became learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brothers would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Okay, there's another one. Okay, jealousy against Joseph and all that bad stuff they did to him. Here, misunderstanding that God was going to deliver them through the hand of Moses. Here's an illustration. The next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons." And then it says, when 40 years had passed. This is another 40 years. You know, God doesn't work on our time scale, does he? We'd like it to be four days or four minutes or maybe four weeks. Four months, but not 40 years. When 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt." This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. You see, again, Moses is like Joseph, a rejected leader whom God used to save them. Joseph was rejected. God used Joseph to save them. Moses rejected. God used Moses to save them. Jesus rejected, but God used him as Savior. So, quite interesting. I think one of the things that I was just thinking that this helps us with is, let me ask it this way, how do you read your Old Testament? When you read it, do you read it the way Stephen is reading it? Stephen is seeing not just the nice story about Moses and the burning bush and Joseph rising to power in Egypt. He's seeing there's a pattern of human sinfulness in rejecting God's messengers. It's not just the nice stories and the little graphics of the burning bushes that don't burn up and all of that, Bible stories as we call them. There's the lesson of humans' sinfulness and repeatedly over and over and over again it happening. And we're going to see even more examples of that. God revealed himself to these messengers, to Joseph, to Moses, again to Moses, again to Moses, and they still reject him. Look at verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. And then what does he say? Notice that next phrase. Him you shall hear. Pay attention to this prophet. Did they do that? Did they do that to the forerunner, John? No. Did they do that to Jesus? No. Did they do that to any of the line of prophets? Many of them they persecuted, killed. You know how, you know how Isaiah was, how he died? Yeah, Hebrews alludes to it possibly. Uh, church history suggests that he was sawn in two with a wood saw by Manasseh that wicked king that we mentioned on Sunday, I believe. Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, remember the kings? This is he who was in the congregation. So, so what I'm saying with all that is just to say mistreatment of God's prophets. What did they do with Jeremiah? Cast him down into a well and muck in the bottom of the well, the mud, and he sank down in there and they had to send down a rope and put it under his armpits and yank him up out of the mud to get him up out of there. What a treatment of a man of God. That's what they did. Well, we read on in verse 38. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles given to us. Living oracles are like the law, you know, the, the lively oracles, the, the words from God, whom our fathers would not obey and then what did they do? In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So yet again, even now, Moses has brought them out of the land against Pharaoh. They've defeated the Pharaoh, and yet still they're saying, look, we want to go back there. We want to reject you, Moses. They said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses who brought us up out of the land, we do not know what's become of him. They knew what became of him. He went up on the mountain to receive revelation from God. That, did, that happened over 40 days. It didn't happen over four minutes have to be patient. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. 
Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship. And I will carry you away into Babylon. You see how it says God gave them up. He handed them over. He gave them over to their reprobate mind. Romans chapter 1 says three times God gave them over, gave them up, gave them over to their hardened hearts. Uh, And eventually he would turn them over to Babylon and give them up to their false worship. This was their judgment upon, or God's judgment upon them rather. Israel also had the tabernacle in their midst. What was the tabernacle representative of? Not just representative of. It was the very presence of God living among them. Do you you remember that? When Moses went to meet with God, where would he go? Besides in Mount Sinai, he'd go to the tabernacle. God would meet with him there at that place. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out from before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. And then he gives a little theological comment here in 48 to 50. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. You know, people that build temples for gods don't realize the true true God's too big for a temple that a man would make. That's just a... That's just a uh, dollhouse for God. It's nothing to him. How Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? You can't build a house for God out of the things that he built because he's bigger than those things that he built. So, Stephen's preaching along here. He's saying, look, God did all these good things to them, saved them through Joseph, saved them through Moses, brought them through the wilderness through Moses, gave them the law, gave them the tabernacle. Uh, God is a great God. He doesn't really live in a temple made by hands, but he did have a special dwelling place among the nation of Israel. But they were jealous, they resisted, they rejected, they became idolaters over and over and over again over the course of many, many centuries of history. And then he brings the application, verse 51, to his sermon, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Oh boy, that's going to go over like a ton of bricks. He's right. Which of the fathers did your fathers not which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Okay, start listing them, guys. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. And then what did they do? They killed the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. So they they 
condemned and killed the prophets who told, like Isaiah, told about the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And they sawed him in two. And then the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, they killed him on a cross. You who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. In other words, you're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. That's what he was saying to them. You are rebellious against God just like they were. Your fathers persecuted the prophets, Joseph, Moses, etc. They know what he's talking about with the persecution of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micaiah and all those other ones. Your fathers killed the prophets who foretold of the coming one. You, Sanhedrin, betrayed and murdered Jesus. You received the law, but you have rejected it. So Stephen doesn't beat around the bush, does he? No, he doesn't. And I think it behooves us to be the same. Look, you can talk in all kinds of flowery language, but people who are lost don't understand the regular plain version of the language, much less the flowery version. It can just make them you know, think nice thoughts and you know, how God is nice and loving and all that sort of thing or whatever, but if you don't get down to the brass tacks of the matter that you're a sinner, you're rebelling against God just like many other generations have done, you need to get saved, you need to turn to God, you need to repent. The leaders were cut to the heart, it says, Verse 54, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So their behavior shows that this was not a godly conviction, but was rather that they felt hatred because he was accusing them of wrongdoing when they felt that they were justified in everything that they did. How wrongheaded they were. Stephen was full of the Spirit at this time, and the Bible tells us he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he reported that. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's what he said, number one. Number two, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen foresaw the throne of God before which he shortly would himself be standing as a martyr for the Christian faith. The council itself descended into mob violence. Such behavior should have been way below their dignity. They had no sanction from the Roman governor to be able to kill another person. Remember in John 18, it's in verse number 31, they said, we have a law and by our law he must die. But we, it's not lawful for us to put any man to death, they said. Remember that? Because only the Romans had that power of capital punishment. But here they take the power to themselves and they just go wild. They're just angry just enraged in fury. A young man named Saul was there. Greek version of his name is Paul. He was there encouraging the whole wretched situation. And this would be part of his testimony later when he said that I tried to destroy the church of God, made 
laid waste to it, hauled people off to jail in it, and thought he was very, you know, zealous for the Lord and for the law, but he was greatly mistaken. So the council fulfilled yet again the words of Stephen. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Well, you can add Stephen to the list because they persecuted him to death. Now, despite this, Stephen, and this this is highly unjust, we, we understand that, and God's people do suffer unjustly at times. But despite this, Stephen called out to God to receive his spirit and, noting this remarkable godliness, asked God not to charge his murderers with this sin. Now, I believe God answered that prayer. But this did not in itself absolve these murderers of all of their sins. To experience that level of forgiveness, they themselves would have to pray and confess their sin to God. It's the same with the guys that were um, at the cross who crucified Jesus. And he said, Father, forgive them. They, They don't know what they're... You know, for, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, very remarkable words of a suffering servant of God. But that those men still had to confess their sin to God to be saved. They might not have been charged with that particular sin. But they had plenty of other sins in their lives. Case is closed now. The Jewish people have a historical pattern of rebellion against God and his messengers. And that's no different at the present time because they've rebelled against God by rejecting Jesus and persecuting his followers, and they prove the point by killing Stephen. Hasten to hear this, though. That was about the Jewish people. The Gentiles are no different. People all tend to be proud rebels. Openly or quietly, it doesn't matter. With enough power at their disposal, people will do terrible things to other humans in their pursuit of godless self-autonomy. Yeah, you can't do it yourself because you don't have the power, but if you had the power, if you were in a place of of authority, you might do these kind of very same terrible things that they were doing to God's people. If you weren't saved, if you don't care about the things of God, you might turn into the monster which these people were in their persecution of the, uh, of the saints. And so we have, I mean, it's so super clear. Pattern of rebellion in history, you're just like your fathers. They did the very same thing to Stephen. They did the very same thing to Jesus. They ought to be convinced. We ought to be convinced. That's how people are, sinful, proud rebels. And we need to be saved from that rebellion. Well, more later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to look at the Word again tonight. It's uh, sobering. It's a sad chapter, Lord, even though I haven't presented it in a sad kind of manner, more of a direct manner tonight, but it is sad to see Stephen suffering for the sake of the gospel. We're glad, Lord, that he fulfilled your will and Then at those moments at the end of Acts chapter 7 and since then, ever since then, hundreds and hundreds of years he's been at peace and bliss in the presence of Christ. Some of our brothers and sisters today are suffering persecution, Lord, in prison and chains, in want and necessities and sleeplessness and nakedness and hunger and toil. 
And I pray, Lord, that soon they too shall receive their rest and that we will follow them and follow their example and uh, be all together as one giant family of Christ very soon. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.